Brother Brian wanted me to remind y'all that um, out in the foyer, there is a, the table out there has a, some couple, a couple cards there to uh, sister churches in the area and ask that we would sign those cards when we, and they're out there with a couple pens laying on that uh, table in the foyer. So if y'all don't mind, uh, please, if, if, you, if your memory is not is like mine, you probably forget, but let's try not to forget and, and uh, sign, those, sign those cards when we go out. I think he's going to send them out to the sister churches. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and let's uh, <clears throat> turn them to chapter 5 of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he, had, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, and who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we come to you this evening, Lord, as humble as we know how. We thank you, Lord, for your love and grace. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to come back into your house and praise and worship you. We pray your word be spoken tonight, Lord, that uh, it would be heard, the message would be heard, that we would all be able to apply uh, this message to our lives tonight. Father, I just pray. Uh, for our pastor and his family, Lord, as he is traveling, I just pray, God, that you would just give him traveling grace. God, that you would just get him back here safe and secure. We thank you so much for our church. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for the family. And, Lord, we just thank you for each one that, 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 uh, that is here. And we praise you and thank you and we love you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you <clears throat> this evening a little bit, just for a little while, about evangelism. <clears throat> And uh, I had an article that I had found from the, that was on the Southern Baptist uh, uh, from the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was about uh, the Southern the future of Southern Baptist evangelism. And he, and they talk about the, some different things in that in that article about what uh, uh, the future of our, our evangelism is, and 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 so I wanted to share with you a few of those right here. The first thing they talked about was effective evangelism. Uh, the fact is we seem to have lost our passion for evangelism. Baptists love evangelism so long as somebody else is doing it. Uh, we have to engage culture better. Most SBC churches have a long way to go to reach the culture around them. We need better evangelism approaches, it said. In my view, 
We will not become more effective in evangelism unless we learn how to relate to those whom we would share the gospel. Tens of thousands of Southern Baptist churches have chosen their traditions over their children and their community, and that needs to change. That was the writing of that, and that was, that's been a little over a year ago. Our church motto was loving God, loving people, and serving the world. Uh, if you read other churches' mission statements as that of ours, it's worded a little bit the same, but a little different. Uh, when you look at its meaning, though, it's basically the fulfillment of the great commandment and great commission. The Lord left us with a lot of instructions and commandments from his word, but at the end of the day, our ultimate goal is that, is that Jesus said in the Great Commission to go and make disciples, to seek and to save those that are lost. So in this passage that I read to you today, uh, this evening, I want to talk to you about evangelism and, and what it looks like. So many pastors and professors and, and, and theological book writers um, they've written on this subject today. They, they've written several books and articles about evangelism and what it looks like, church growth and things like that. Most of them are, are pastors who have experienced a lot of success with the way that the methods that they're using. Uh, each year, our association has an evangelism conference, and the purpose is to encourage the pastors and church uh, leaders and lay people uh, in, their in, in their evangelistic efforts. Um, there are a lot of things that they are doing different to reach the people with the gospel, but I believe there are some, some, some common elements that are in, in, that are in uh, their efforts and to evangelize, um, to evangelize what the, effort, uh, the elements that they use and the same things that they use, even though their methods are different, I think we can find right here in chapter 5 of, of Luke. So I want to share with you four essential elements that are common in evangelism that we must do. And we find it right here in, in these passages. The first thing we must do is we must teach the word of God. Look at verse 1. It says, Now it happened that while the crowd was, was uh, pressing around him and listening to the word of God, they was listening. Jesus' teaching uh, was teaching was his primary ministry. And when you read through the Gospels, you see that teaching and preaching the kingdom of God is what Jesus primarily did. Yes, he performed many signs. He performed many miracles. And wonders, but those were only confirmation of the message. Miracles and signs and wonders were, were, were never to, be, to bring people into the kingdom of God. That would only be the word of God, the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Paul said that the word of God was sharper than any two-edged sword. And Jesus also instructs us to, and Paul in his word, in, in his writings, right to, tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. It has always been the knowledge of the gospel and truth that has been the primary agent to bring about life change. One of the reasons why the people were crowding around him and pressing it in is that they wanted to hear the word. And yes, they had heard that they had seen the miracles. If you read back in chapter 4, you see uh, that Jesus was already uh, healing people, that he had already uh, performed many signs and, and, and people were being healed, whoever he touched. Uh, different miracles were being performed, uh, but, they, but they also, those people in that day and that time, not only wanted to see a miracle, they wanted to hear a good speaker. They wanted to hear a word. You might say, why aren't people pressing in the church here to hear the word of God? That's a good question, and I don't have the answer. 
But I do believe, and I still say that the fact remains, is that the teaching and the preaching and the proclaiming of the Word of God is what's going to change people's lives. It doesn't matter if they press in here or not. That's what we have to continue to do. And I really thank God that we have a pastor here that preaches the Word of God, and he don't tickle the bottom of our feet, but stomps on our toes a little bit every now and then. Amen? But Jesus was out in the public. And I believe that uh, some of this and, and the reason the crowd was coming in is, is that we have to consider the fact that he was not inside a building. Although he went into the synagogue sometimes to preach, at this point in time he didn't just stay contained inside the synagogues to preach. He also took it out into the public. The church does not stay inside the walls. The church building is not the only place where we can preach and teach the word of God. If teaching is the primary ministry of Jesus, shouldn't it be our primary ministry as well? Not just speaking of us as uh, those that are preachers and teachers of the Sunday school classes, but all of us. Several scriptures show where the apostles were teaching and preaching the word of God. In my own personal testimony, I can tell you uh, that I was raised up in church all of my life. Uh, and as I got older and as I began to stray and as I began to get away, I realized uh, that whenever I got back in church and I really got involved in Sunday school and I was being taught the word of God that I was never truly saved. Y'all have heard my testimony before, most of you, I believe, but it was in Sunday school getting involved in Bible study that I, that, that I realized that I needed Jesus and that I, that I had never biblically been saved and, and genuinely been saved. A lot of the churches that are having success in salvations, baptisms, and church attendance, uh, their leadership and their membership have made evangelism a priority. I wanted to share with you some scripture here from Acts, Acts chapter 1. And Acts chapter 1 and uh, verse 1 says, The first account I composed, Luke is writing this, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Acts 4.2 being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Teaching and proclaiming. Acts 4.18, verse 18 in Acts chapter two, uh, 4. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. We can go through the book of Acts and we can go through more letters of Paul and we can see. I've got several. There's just bunches. I, I, I did a, a research on how this word teaching and, and you find in, in the New Testament that that was the primary ministry. That teaching is going on with the church. That's what we should be doing. I want to illustrate this with a story with something that we just did that I did recently, me and Susan, with the youth about the uh, well, it was on, New, it was on uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, some of you may have heard it, seen it on Facebook or whatever, but we, we took the, the youth over to uh, Chick-fil-A in the, in the Lufkin Mall. And while we were there, uh, we decided to just take our Bible study to the, to the, to the mall. Uh, we were out there in the middle out by Chick-fil-A by the, where the movie theaters are. I asked that janitor, I said, will it be okay if we gather some tables and we want to have our Bible study right here? And the janitor said, sure, go ahead. So we got done eating our chicken, and we sat around. We moved the tables around out there in the middle of the mall, and we sat, all sat around that table, about 12 of us, and we had our Bible study there. 
And as we was having our Bible study, a young man, a college student, came up behind and was, was standing right beside me and was listening to me as, we were, as I was talking to the students. And uh, I finally said, man, you, you want to join us? And he said, sure, I want to join you. So he sat down. Before it was over with, we had three of them gathered around us. They all came at different times. And at that time, uh, when I, I didn't know who they were, so um, I asked them their names, and I asked them what their, what their belief was, if they attended a church, did they, did they know Jesus Christ? Uh, had they ever had been a time in their life where they had surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior? And none of them had never done that. They'd been to church a few times and prayed for, asked for forgiveness, they said. Uh, of course, I didn't, I didn't try to pressure them into a decision at that point in time, but we planted good seeds right there with those kids. And the students just loved it. They said, we want to do this a lot more. But the, 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 the thing is, is that I think sometimes we need to take the church outside the walls. We, re, we need to realize Bible study and preaching and teaching don't just take place in here on Wednesdays and Sundays. I know of churches, uh, I know of churches now that are having church inside houses. I don't know if any of y'all have heard of that. Uh, and other buildings and places of business uh, and people's lives are being changed. And once that change takes place, then they will come to your church building. Either way, we need to get the word of God into the public. Do you know of someone uh, in, 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 that you, there may be some people that you know, and that's the question is, do you know someone, if you were to invite them to church, they wouldn't come, but if you were to invite them to your house for a Bible study, would they come? They probably would. Most everybody in here may could name somebody or think of somebody, you know, I, I, that person just won't come to church, but they might come to our house for a Bible study. So that's the first thing. The priority needs to be on the teaching and preaching of the word of God. The second thing we see here is we must be obedient to the commands of Jesus. Look at verses 4 through 6. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I would do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. We must be obedient to the commands. Now, in this story, we have Jesus, the carpenter, and Simon Peter, the fisherman, the professional fisherman. And um, I'm sure Simon Peter was thinking, how wacky is this? I would like to know what is going through Peter's mind. <laughs> I know he was tired. Um, he had already fished all night because that's when fishing was usually done. But being the professional that he was, he knew that fishing was best at night. And if he had not caught anything all night, he surely didn't think he was going to catch anything today in the daylight. So it was, he was thinking in his mind it was next to impossible to catch anything. So Peter goes through what Henry Blackaby would call, if y'all have ever taken experience in God, the crisis of belief. It probably seemed very odd that uh, Peter, to Peter that Jesus would ask him to do this. What would happen, though, if Simon Peter had not obeyed? What would have happened if Simon Peter would have said, Lord, I, I just can't do it. I am too tired. I'm going home. What would have happened? There would have been no catch. You see, Jesus was the all-powerful God. He could have made the fish just jump in the boat. 
he could have he could have made them uh, jump up on the bank. People picked him up. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But that's not how Jesus does. That's not how God does. He's he don't uh, work mechanically like that. He uses us as instruments. Peter would have lost a blessing. What would have happened to Peter if he had not done it, even in his own life? This was the point in time where some scholars believe that Peter actually had his conversion experience, even though he was following Jesus before he had went back fishing. Here, some people, some scholars believe that this was actually where he actually got saved. You see, just like Simon, James, and John had a part in bringing people into the kingdom of God, we too have a part. And at the end of the day, it's just simply saying, yes, Lord, at your bid, I will do that. You might say, Lord, I am tired. I am too busy. I've worked all week long. I've got to do this or i got to do that. i got to clean house. got to do that. Something else that I see in this passage is that Simon and his friends were reluctant to do what he said, but they did it anyway. You see, that's what it has to be. Jesus will accept your half-hearted obedience. Did you know that? He will accept our half-hearted obedience. He's a big God. He can accept all of our complaints. He can accept all of our excuses. We can make them up and we can complain and we can say all of that. But at the end of the day, it still requires our obedience for something to happen. The Bible says that if you love me, you will keep my commands in John 14, 15. Just like Peter was accustomed to catching fish at night, we have been accustomed to think that we have to do things a certain way for God to work. Peter could have thought, this is how we always do it. Or it will not work any other way. You have to do it at night. Peter could have thought, well, uh, I'm not only tired, but what if my buddies are defended or offended by this, that I ask them to go back out again? They're tired too. What will they think if I listen to this carpenter? It is possible that we Christians get so accustomed to doing church a certain way that we do not think the only way a person can be saved is that they have to come to our building for a service. And then when we get into that thought, we want to get them to come to hear the gospel and we're not sharing the gospel with them out there. Because we think they're supposed to come to church. We must be obedient to what God tells us to do. And he has made it very clear, even in this passage, that we must cast the net. We have to cast the net. We must be obedient to what he tells us to do. Although some may have a specific call to vocational evangelism, we have all been called to go and make disciples. That applies to every follower of Christ. The third thing I want us to see is that humility. We must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves in evangelism. Look at verses 8 through 10a. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. At this point, Simon realized that he was in the very presence of God, of the Lord. He is aware that this is 
the Lord. Simon had seen other miracles that Jesus had performed, but this was his first personal experience with him. This was a personal encounter with holy God that he had not had before, and now he's fallen to his knees. He had seen him do other things, but now he was, he was experiencing him in his personal livelihood, in his personal business. And now, and because of that, he recognizes the sinfulness. In fact, this is the first time that Luke, and as I said earlier, this is the first time that Luke actually writes and calls him Simon Peter. Peter was at a point that he could be used of God now. He was at a point where he felt like a little grain of sand, and this is where God wants him to be. And we get him there several other times when you read throughout the rest of the Gospels and, that, and, and that, uh, through the Gospels. If we are to be effective in our efforts to evangelize, we have to trust in the Lord. We have to depend upon his presence. We have to depend on his strength. We have to realize that we cannot do anything without his power and his presence and his strength. We have to become a little bitty grain of sand in the hand of the Lord that is a little part of the big picture. Like Peter, when we feel that we are unworthy, because of our past failures to evangelize, I've had a bunch of them, I don't know about you, we need to remember the words of Christ, what he said to Peter, these three words, from now on, you will experience Christ's power to change and renew. Just as an encounter with the presence of God brought Peter to his knees, so also we need God to get to us as Christians to a point of falling on our knees in humility and in need of him. We cannot do this without him. This is what brought Peter to his point of penitence. If we have not been doing this ourselves, then we need to be brought to a point of penitence. We need God to bring us to a point of understanding that whatever evangelistic efforts we have had or not had is but filthy rags and turn our total dependence upon him. Perhaps we have sometimes tried to do it in our own strength, and that's why we may not have success. After this miracle, they had knew that they were in the very presence of God. The presence of God transfer, transformed their thinking, and it will transform our thinking. It will also prompt, it prompted them to want to follow, and it prompts us to want to follow. You see, when you experience God in his presence and respond with a decision to follow him, your want tos change. I had a pastor one time that said, the, said that, that once he got saved, the man was asking him, Pastor, why don't you just drink a beer with me every now and then? He said, well, he said, he said I used to want to do that. He said, but my want tos changed when Jesus saved me. I just don't want to do that no more. And the last thing that, we, that, that I have to share with y'all is the fourth thing, and that's in verses 10b and 11. You must put Christ above everything else. 10b, the second half of 10b, it says, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now can you imagine right here what happens? Here they are, they got a big old catch of fish, and Jesus took them and he said, Follow me. Why didn't Peter say, hey, Wait a minute, won't you follow me? Why don't we go fishing? I can, we can build a big business with you here. We can get more boats. We can get more uh, uh, things. We can put on more people to work. We can employ more people. It seems that their half-hearted obedience comes to a complete sellout, though. 
Jesus told them to not fear, and from now on they would be catching men. Jesus knew the decision that they had made. He knew their hearts. God knows a person's heart if the decision was genuine or not. Some people make decisions that are not genuine and nothing ever happens in their life. People may tell you that they are this or that, and we may take them serious, but God really knows. You can put, a, put on a counterfeit for me and others, but God knows. These men had totally sold out their lives for Jesus, and yes, they were called into full-time ministry as a vocation, but no matter what your vocation is, we too, in a sense, are called into full-time ministry, even though it may not be paid ministry. We all are all called into full-time followers of Christ. That means no matter what your occupation is, the question is, is do you follow Christ even at work? Are you a Christ follower at ball games? Are you a Christ follower wherever you go into the public places? John Piper says, this is what it means to follow Jesus. I like what he said here. He is more valuable to us than everything. That's what John Piper said. I agree with that. He is more valuable to us than everything. Luke 14.33, Luke writes in there, I count everything as lost compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That means there is no thing, place, or person that is more valuable than our relationship to Christ. In fact, the Bible says you must hate your mother and your father because you love God so much that your love for your family looks like hate. I believe that when we are making evangelism a priority, we are casting the net out into the deep, sharing the gospel in our homes, and we do that in our workplaces, in our public places, and we can say that we have put Christ above everything else. This is how we glorify God. The Great Commission is how we glorify God. This is how we bring glory to God, by bringing other people into his, to his kingdom. Tom Rainer wrote in an article back in 2014 that is still probably, and I still believe is true today, seven factors that are hindering evangelism in churches. He, one, he says there is no priority of evangelism. Y'all listen to this. Two, many laypersons believe that evangelism is what we pay the pastors and staff to do. Three, many churches have an, have an excuse mentality. Four, too many church members do not connect prayer with evangelism. Five, too many Christians fail to be compassionate and Christ-like to others. Six, most church ministries are not intentionally evangelistic. And seven, some church members are concerned for new Christians will change their church too much. He showed in that article where he gave a true story of the pastor where a woman, a member of the church came up to him and said, Pastor, you're, you're bringing too many people in the church. You're changing our church. Isn't that sad? How sad it would be for, for people or anybody that's, that proclaims that they're a Christian to say <laughs> that we don't want more people in here that is changing our church. I wonder how many people think that way whenever somebody comes into your to their church and I don't think that's here, and I hope and pray that it wouldn't be, but they come into their church and they don't like the, the way they dress or they don't accept them the way they are, and they'd rather them go to the church down the nut road, not our church. 
May the power and authority of Jesus Christ move people into eternal kingdom blessings by means of his disciples here at First Baptist Church Comersmill who teach the word of God, obey the commands of Jesus, humble ourselves, and put Christ above everything else. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for your love. We thank you for your grace. And Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, what it means to us, God. Lord, I do pray, Father, for your power, Lord, to just come over us, Lord. And I know that we're few here tonight. And, but we're all here. And you have us here for a reason. And I just pray, God, that during this time of, Lord, of song of response, Father, if there be any of us, Lord, anyone in this congregation here this evening, God, that feels like that they need to, 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 to do better in evangelism, Lord, and, and I hope and pray that everybody, all of us, realize that we are all part of your kingdom, and in that as a part of that kingdom, as a member of that kingdom, that the great commandment applies to all of us to go and to make disciples, Lord. And I pray, God, that, that you would help us in that, Lord, and help us to understand uh, that we do have a part in your kingdom, Lord. And no matter, no matter how old we are or how young we are, Lord, if we're living and we're breathing, Lord, we are to be proclaiming the good news. And I pray that we all do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.